0: For over 5,000 years of documented history, people have been using the cannabis plant as medicine. From ancient Chinese medical journals to the modern day dispensaries, cannabis and its many medical uses have found their way to every continent on earth. Today, as the prohibition against this plant is slowly being lifted around the world and our technological capacity grows exponentially, we finally have the opportunity to discover what this plant is truly capable of. Please join me Matthew Myro, as I speak with the remarkable innovators working at the cutting edge of these discoveries. This is The Edge of Cannabis Medicine. Hello, beautiful people. Thank you so much for joining me for this episode of The Edge of Cannabis Medicine podcast. I know that you're here because you know that I love to bring you the very best information out there about the medical cannabis industry. Every episode, I interview a guest that is an expert in their field, be it a cultivator, a medical professional, like a doctor or nurse, like we have on today's episode, or maybe they're an entrepreneur or a lab owner or something along those lines. Whatever they're doing, if they're an innovator in this space and they're moving and shaking, I want to bring their wisdom to you, my wonderful listeners. And if you haven't already, please go to whatever platform you like to listen to these episodes on and leave a little review. Let me know how many stars you think I deserve. What is the galaxy that the Edge of Cannabis Medicine exists in in your life? And if that's not good for you, you can reach out to me directly, Matthew at edgeofcannabismedicine.com. I love to hear from you. Let me know what you think. Let me know if there's guests that you wanna hear from. I'll do my best to get them on the show. And this week, I have Jesse Lynn Dolan, She's a nurse up in Vermont. She has her fingers in so many different areas of this industry. I think you're really gonna enjoy this. I got to learn a lot. I learned about the GANGA certification that I didn't know anything about. Apparently, you can do a whole bunch of online learning and then go learn from some of the original experts out in California, learning about cultivation, learning about the different terpenes, identifying the terpenes. Identifying and differentiating between strains. It's basically like a sommelier for cannabis If you're familiar with sommeliers in the wine world, very very cool didn't know anything about that But Jessie Lynn has a really powerful story Incredible history and she has been all over the map in terms of bringing wellness to people over the years So please enjoy this interview with Jessie Lynn Dolan I am Matthew Myro and this is the Edge of Cannabis Medicine podcast. And my guest today is Jesse Lynn Dolan. Jesse Lynn is a cannabis activist, cultivator, and educator. As a nurse and patient herself, Jesse Lynn understands the life changing impact cannabis and alternative medicine can have. From early childhood, continuing to adulthood, Jesse Lynn has had over three dozen surgeries and is beyond grateful for the support of plant medicine along the way. She is a cultivating caregiver for another nurse, and has spent decades cultivating and crafting medicinal herbs. After years of research and not being able to find any local products that met the appropriate and in-depth lab testing and formulation standards necessary to ensure customer safety, Jesse Lynn co-founded Nurse Grown Organics Vermont Hemp and CBD. This is Vermont's first clean, green, certified hemp farm. Jesse Lynn serves on the board of directors for the American Cannabis Nurses Association, is president of the American Nurses Association Vermont, and chair of the ANA, the American Nurses Association Vermont Government Affairs Committee. Jesse Lynn is founder and president of the Vermont Cannabis Nurses Association. Working collaboratively, these associations launched an education program in 2021 to educate all Vermont medical professionals and patients about all aspects of medicinal cannabis. That is a topic very near and dear to my heart, educating the people that need to know it the most. So, Jesse Lynn, thank you so much for being on the show today.
1: Great. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here.
0: Absolutely. So there are a lot of different directions that we can start with, uh, but I would love to hear a little bit more of your story of how you found your way to cannabis as a medicine and then as an educator.
1: Yeah, so my story is a little opposite of most. Um, you know, as a child, I had a family that was very open to cannabis. I had a great grandmother who used medicinal herbs, including cannabis for us growing up you know, I had a family that went to Grateful Dead shows and cannabis was just part of our life growing up. So there was really no taboo or stigma. And as a child who had multiple surgeries, tried a lot of pharmaceuticals and had some negative effects and, you know, didn't want to go that route. Cannabis just became part of the natural, normal healing kind of rhythm in my family growing up.
0: Wow. So as a child, your parents are giving you cannabis.
1: Absolutely. I think I probably found it a little earlier uh, in my childhood than many myself as well and realized, you know, the medicinal benefits and how I could help myself stay off pharmaceuticals too.
0: And at that point were you, what was the means of administration?
1: Yeah, I would say, you know, my early teenage years, I definitely started consuming cannabis recreationally, but also realizing how much of a medicinal, you know, support it had for me as well
0: amazing i i too come from a family where it was pretty open um i remember my first concert with my buddy being being like what what is that weird smell and he's like oh that's marijuana i was like oh that's like the weird lamp in my parents bedroom that's cool (laughs) (laughs) so yeah it's good to meet someone who didn't have to grow up with the stigma that so many of us are fighting through right now in the industry
1: Well, especially in medical professionals, I find that a lot of medical professionals come to cannabis later in their career after seeing, you know, so many negative and horrible effects and and circumstances in the traditional, you know kind of allopathic world. And I went into nursing as a career after becoming an herbalist, after being a body worker and a yoga instructor. So I kind of found my way a little bit differently than most. And, you know, I've always found that very interesting how other medical professionals kind of waited till later in their career before they were able to open, kind of open their eyes and ears to cannabis.
0: Sure. And what has been the uh, the response from a lot of these professionals as you've tried to educate them there in Vermont?
1: You know, I think it's actually been more positive than I originally had thought would happen. You know, when I came out as far as being part of the American Cannabis Nurse Association and really coming from the educational standpoint, I think the work that I had already been doing at a state level in Vermont was already well-respected and appreciated that bringing this work into it and, you know, also taking it from a professional standpoint and doing research and things like that made it more acceptable than, you know, some other doctors in some other states might have felt towards it. So, you know, I do feel lucky, but as we've learned in Vermont with our legalization process, there are more doctors speaking out about the concerns and the negative aspects, unfortunately, more than we had hoped to see.
0: Sure. And then um, it's always important to talk about harm reduction. Is there anything that you've noticed as a nurse that maybe could speak to the side of caution when using cannabis as a medicine?
1: Oh, absolutely. So as a nurse, I've specialized in opioid use disorder and multi-substance use disorder and in the maternal child health area. So with pregnancy and infancy withdrawal. So for us, it's all about mitigating harm, you know, and and I look at that at a very broad perspective that could be trying to get someone to cut down from 12 to six cigarettes to help infant withdrawal. That could be somebody using a clean needle for injection. That could be as simple as somebody cleaning their bong on a regular basis so that it's not turning to mold inside their pipe or bong. So I think harm reduction is one of the most important things we can do, but it, plays right into stigma. So are we looking at harm reduction and stigmatizing people and making them feel bad about their choices? Are we meeting them where they're at? Because anywhere we meet someone, there's always a way we can support them by reducing harm somehow.
0: Great. Yeah. And that leads nicely into what actually got me first interested in having you on the show is this recent study around human milk and cannabis. And you could just Tell the audience about what that is about and some of the results you've seen.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I was actually doing opioid research at the time. And, you know, I talked to my team about doing a cannabis research study because it was a follow up second study. So we did one study five years earlier and then we had legalization happen in vermont so i wanted to repeat the study post legalization to see what changed so unfortunately the study isn't specifically on cannabis consumption and what's you know what's inside their human milk because it's very hard to do that kind of research because cannabis is schedule 1 and you know has all the taboos and stigmas attached so this was a research survey asking lactation professionals their thoughts their understanding and education and then what they then recommend to, you know, pregnant and parenting people as far as should I be using cannabis? What are my concerns? What do I need to know? And what the study found was that five years later, after the original study, you know, people's thoughts and perceptions did change. We're not saying that, yes, yay, go ahead, use as much as you want. What we're saying is we've found that we it's still beneficial enough to provide human milk feeding or breastfeeding, what people call to the child as composed to the concerns from the cannabis. So we don't want someone necessarily to stop you to stop milk feeding. If they're using cannabis, of course, we talked to them about harm reduction, secondhand smoke, thirdhand smoke, everything they need to do to mitigate any of those concerns. But human milk feeding, the attachment, the bonding, what actually does pass through human milk is so much more important than the actual concerns we are able to very clearly state are happening. So this study basically proved that people are less or lactation professionals are less likely to say, no, 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 don't nurse, you know, don't human milk feed they're more likely to say well it depends on circumstances and we really need more information and to educate ourselves so that that is you know in my mind really important because we don't have the research that we want what we do is have people constantly asking professionals their advice and their opinion so that is really what matters when it comes down to supporting people where they're at and educating the mass
0: sure and that's really really interesting i'm wondering about being able to collect samples of, of, you know, of the mothers who are feeding. And I mean, I guess with a range of heavy users versus moderate versus infrequent or, or whatnot. I mean, there's so many ways that another study when things are more open legally, could actually be done. Have you taken any steps toward that at all?
1: You know, I've spoken to a few laboratories about the possibilities of doing studies like this. Unfortunately, not many laboratories which will allow cannabis and have the technology to test for the cannabinoids also have the equipment that need they need to test milk so it's not as easy as you might think it's not you know we can't just send human milk to any cannabis lab to test but I have started those conversations and that is my hope in the future that we can have more you know more of these studies just based on the fact that adult use is legal but you know, one thing I I remind people is the biggest unfortunate consequence and side effects of cannabis use is the legal concerns and the repercussions. And where in Vermont, we were able to change some of those laws in 2017. In a lot of other states, if a mom admits or shows THC in their human milk, they can be in a lot of trouble and even lose custody of their child. So unfortunately it would have to be very dependent situations and state laws to even safely do this without putting a family unit at risk
0: oh sure for sure and i my sister has been nursing for the last two and a half years she had, had a child had another one and so it's going to continue for quite a while um and she's a very very sober individual really does everything she can to not put anything remotely toxic into her body and um Just speaking with her, because I'm curious about it, and she's my sister, so she'll tell me anything, which is great. But just the understanding of the mood shifts between different meals that she has and noticing how it feels. She married an Indian man, so if she has a a spicy meal one night versus a more bland Western meal, she can see what's happening in her daughters and, and their behavior. It's fascinating.
1: Absolutely. Oh, I think that's wonderful. Yes. I think everything we ingest in our body really matters so much more when we think, and people don't actually think about it until they are pregnant or feeding another human child.
0: Oh, for sure. For sure. Well, I'll be very curious to watch how this continues and to see about it because so much of what we hear is mostly just during pregnancy. It's all cannabis use during pregnancy. And we almost forget that the next year or two years after pregnancy is still kind of part of that gestation period. It's It's really important. So thank you for doing that work and getting the ball rolling in that that direction.
1: Oh, absolutely. And I always have to mention the funniest part of the research is that here in the US, we're still struggling to get it published, even though it's the study five years prior was published. This study, we're having a hard time published, possibly because it's not as negative on that, you know, the thoughts and connotations around cannabis. I can't Say for sure, but I was very excited that the minute I shipped it over to Israel and to Canex and you know, presided by Raphael Meshulam, they were ready to publish it and excited about it. So it really, also in my mind, again plays into the stigma and shows the difference of, you know, culturally and internationally what we are willing to publish and talk about and what we are not.
0: Absolutely, and historically. FDA approved studies have been only for studies that are trying to prove some kind of negative something about cannabis and, and they'll always use the word marijuana to make it even more degrading. And it's just, it's horrible what we got going on.
1: Absolutely. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Okay. Um, Do you want to share anything about going to Israel and being able to speak? And did you get to meet the Godfather himself?
1: unfortunately we met virtually he wasn't feeling well you know he's 93 now so he wasn't able to make the trip for for this past one unfortunately but you know it was just amazing and beautiful the hospitality of the conference the the food they provided the level of education was phenomenal um, you know, I met some of the top researchers and scientists in the world and were e- able to ask them specific questions about their research and really dive in. And everyone was very accepting and exciting. Of You know, I'm a new researcher as far as this is my first publishing. Um, so I think it was really an exciting opportunity. As far as conference, the travel was the worst thing ever there and back. <laughs> <From> losing <laughs> bags to missing flights to having my social media and emails hacked and all oh, kinds no. of stuff. Um, but the conference itself was absolutely wonderful. And, um, yeah, I look forward to hopefully getting back there again in the next couple of years.
0: Sure. And there's also a huge bias around research and we tend to only count stuff that's been done by the FDA here in this country when so many other countries are making great strides because they have less restrictions. Have you come across, I guess, just what has been your experience in that realm?
1: Well, we know that, you know, we are not leading the way. We know, as you've mentioned before, all the funding we have put forth for cannabis research here in the U.S. is basically to prove that it's bad. So, you know, when we want to look for research, we do want to look at a country. I mean, you know, Israel has for a long time been leading the way and giving us some of the best research we have. So I would just encourage anyone that's doing any kind of research, whether it's science, you know, or for themselves, um, cultivation, even look outside of America and look at other countries, especially Israel.
0: Great. Please do that. Everybody listening, please go and look at what the other countries are doing because they're way on top of it and we are not. So,
1: And if one. you don't know who the godfather is, like you said, go watch the scientists, look them up. I always joke around. There's, you know, a lot of cultivators who don't know who the scientists are, a lot of scientists who don't know who the cultivators are. And we really need to kind of bridge that gap and appreciate one another for for the you know, what we've all brought to the table to bring cannabis medicine to where it is right now. Hey, exactly. Yeah.
0: If you don't know Raphael Mishulam, look him up. The only Absolutely. reason we know about THC, and CBD, and an endocannabinoid system is because of that guy. So <laughs> he, he deserves a place of honor in our community. That's for sure. Yes. So will you please tell me more about uh, Nurse Grown Organics the process of deciding that was necessary? What is a clean green certification yeah. and all that?
1: Um, So Clean Green is a certification specific to cannabis. And the idea is that in the U.S., because of the illegality of cannabis, you can't be certified USDA organic. So clean green is based on and actually exceeds all the National Organic Program requirements and standards. They've been around for 19 years. They came out of the need basically for consumer marketing and protection to say, hey, this actually is or is not organically grown. So clean green, you know, kind of is the epitome of that. On top of ensuring that the environment is being protected so, you know, you're not damming up any streams or rivers with your water, you see, you know, things to protect the earth as well as to protect people. So it also includes fair wages and things like that. So we were drawn to clean green because we really wanted to, you know, kind of step it up to that next level. Um, We started growing hemp really just as a way to grow more cannabis because we loved it, but also to teach other farmers. Here in Vermont, there's a lot of struggling farmers. We didn't have our own farmland. We hooked up with a couple farmers, helped them make some money, pay their taxes, keep their farm going, helped a few other CBD companies start. And then along the way, just realized that people weren't spending the money on the lab testing. People weren't doing the extraction method that was most efficacious. And people were spending a lot of money on CBD cannabis medicine that wasn't necessarily the right thing or working. And then again, adding to that stigma or taboo and more people not wanting cannabis or, you know, my concerns of long-term repercussions with all these CBD products out there that haven't been tested for mold and mildews and six months or three years later, we're showing problems. So, you know, it's kind of funny, but my lawyer basically said, Jeff, stop complaining and start your own CBD company. (laughs) So, you know, we turned around and we went for it and started, you know, Nurse Grown Organics. Um, And we have a, you know, it's the preference... I have a specific preference with my extraction methods, with my carrier oils, with my additives and different things like that, on top of how important our cultivation and environmental stewardship is. So I don't think it was ever the original plan, but that's definitely where we landed.
0: That's great. And so is it mostly extractions? You do smokable flour as well?
1: We do some smokable flour, but for the most part, we do, you know, um, we do an organic food grade ethanol extraction and use that in our products and we for most of our products use a hemp seed oil rather than any other oil because i want to stay with the cannabis plant and the essence of the cannabis plant while also mining our carbon footprint where so many other oils are shipped all over the world so you know i think it comes for me it comes down to a lot of those little details even the different packaging that we try to use to be a little more sustainable and wherever we can
0: sure and is it full spectrum or are you isolating just the cbd
1: Oh no! Absolutely full spectrum. That's the only way to go, in my opinion, unless there's a major legal reason not to. I
0: couldn't agree more. Uh, I, I'm just—I'm a cultivator. That's what I did for 15 years in California, so I, I get nerdy about it a little bit. Um, so, as far as uh, phenotype hunting, are you consistently trying to find strains that have really interesting and varying degrees of the phytocannabinoids? And like, what's that process like?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Actually, the way we farmed for our hemp fields was we would have big farm hemp fields in someone else's farm, but here at my own house I would have my 50 or 150 plants and I'd have I call them my my trials, you know, my rows of one of another to really be here every day with them and Um, and really understand and learn them. And then that would help us decide what we were growing a field of the following year. You know, and I hope to do the same thing. Vermont is just about to open a legal market and we're kind of deciding when and where we're going to fit into that. And that would be part of it along the way is absolutely pheno hunting. And I love the idea of pheno hunting. I think too many people say they're breeders and they pheno hunt, but when you pop 10 seeds, that's not pheno hunting. And when you find a male and pollinate something, that's not breeding, but we see so much of that. So I'm excited yeah. to kind of see that mature here on the East Coast.
0: Oh, it's important. And you can only do it in a more mature sort of corner of the industry. It takes time. I mean, just to stabilize genetics takes, depending on who you ask, five, eight different harvests. So you, it all takes time to make sure that you have a really strong piece of genetics. And yeah, it's cool. Doing it right. I'm glad you're doing it right. What have, have you seen? What have been some of your favorite parts about it? And so... I Before we get that, I just want to be very clear. When we talk about hemp, we're talking about the cannabis plant. It's just legally that we can call it hemp because it has less than 0.3% THC. So I like to make that distinction always. It's still cannabis. This is still cannabis medicine just because it doesn't have to be sold at a dispensary. It's still Mm -hmm. very much medicine. Okay, so what have been some of your favorite parts about starting this company and running it? What have been some pitfalls that people might run into just... Always curious.
1: We could probably write a book on every pitfall and what not to do, (laughs) you know, as a lot of farmers would tell you, (laughs) you know, the first year we went for and did 6,000 plants. The year after that, we did 3,000. A year after that, we cut it in half again, realizing we didn't need that much and we were going for it. You know, we would go from six different cultivars down to three one year to the next, and then back up to four or five, really kind of looking for not only that terpene expression, but here in Vermont, we have a challenging growth climate compared to others. You know, I remember one year we had four different cultivars and one cultivar, we got rid of the entire cultivar. It was just too prone to mildew, you know? So I think working with the environment and the terpene expression, you know, it's pretty exciting to learn the differences and and just just learning and growing the plant. I think you know you mentioned and I love hearing that you're a cultivator, so you know cannabis and the plant. Cultivators know cannabis different. There's a different relationship, and I can't stress that enough for people to create that relationship. Whether you're a patient, we know how healing, you know, gardening can be. There's gardens in cancer centers and hospitals. Um, from you know, the, the person extracting the medicine to the person bud tending to have that relationship with the plant teaches you so much. And I can't encourage folks to do that more. I think that's one of my biggest pet peeves in the medical world is not enough medical professionals touch and grow the plant. And we need more of that. And that brings me back to the kind of what I mentioned is bridging the gap between, you know, cultivators and the legacy world and, medical experts and, you know, scientists, we really need to bridge that gap more. And I think that's one of the things Ganjie has helped kind of me learn and do is, is we need to, uh, again, just appreciate and respect what one another has brought to the table. And in no way would we be here if it wasn't about cultivators and people taking those risks and chances to get to the point that we are today.
0: Absolutely. So I'm going to get to that that Ganjie certification, but something that I've I'm going to take a leap here, but I feel like you might be interested in as well. And it's a personal point of preference for me is cannabis and spirituality and the whole spiritual wellness aspect of who we are as people that is, it's been pushed aside because we're trying to move the conversation forward medically. And so they think it's important and spiritual wellness is not yet part of the common vernacular. But for me as a cultivator, it was a psycho-spiritual experience. Every time I went through an entire growth process from, from cutting to flowering and I could really see reflected in the plant's health and in my personal health, what was happening for me during that two or three month span of time. It's fascinating. Have you witnessed any of that too with your team?
1: Oh, definitely. Absolutely. I mean, there's a glory and, you know, like you said, a spiritualness that sometimes you can't put into words or maybe I'm just not eloquent enough to put it necessarily into words. Um, But, you know, we can't have physical health without mental health, without spiritual health. And you nailed it. We don't talk about it and prioritize it here in the Western world in allopathic medicine. And, you know, I started studying massage and cranial sacral and Chinese medicine before I became a nurse. So all that is so inherent and important to me, but you become a nurse and allopathic medicine. We don't talk about your spirituality. We don't talk about your sex life. We barely talk about how much water you drink, but let's bring us back to the plant medicine. And we have to talk about that spiritual connection and the amount of water and whether they're female or male in their sex life. Right. So, so it's, so it's just a different approach that allopathic medicine is absolutely missing. And again, without that, there's just, there's something missing. And we need to really get medical professionals to get their hands on the plants.
0: Yeah, oh, 100%. Couldn't agree more. Okay, so let's jump into that, that GAN GA certification. Please tell the audience what that is and what your process was getting certified and how it's benefiting you with what everything that you're working on.
1: Absolutely. So for me, it was kind of like a full circle. It was so much fun. Um, I do look at a lot of the research that I just published as part of breaking my own stigmas. So I was an herbalist and a cannabis patient, but I was working in an opioid use disorder, teaching people at a state level how to withdraw babies at methadone. So I couldn't talk about cannabis. So I created my own professional stigma and wouldn't, wouldn't be outspoken about it. And then I was drawn to this research. And even then I was still a real reluctant to kind of talk about it and put it out there. So then the research came about, I said, okay, you know, now, then it was my cannabis friends who were pushing me to get it out there and talk about it. I wouldn't have even applied to present it, you know, with Raphael Mashulam, if it wasn't for nurses kind of pushing me to do so and supporting me with that, I realized while I was in Israel. You know, I, I was speaking to a few scientists and I mentioned I've been a you know legacy cultivator for 25 years. A couple of people got up from the table and walked away from me. That was a learning lesson. When so in March, I spent time in Israel with some of the top scientists. Then in April, I went out to Humboldt to spend, you know, over a week or two there and really learn from some of the most amazing legacy growers, cultivators, breeders, um, you know, scientists out there. And combining those two worlds, you know, was again, part of breaking my own stigma and realizing, you know, I went from reticent to research back to my roots. So I didn't want to talk about it. And then research made me talk about it. And then I, and then, you know, should I really be talking about this and my history and how important cannabis and how much it's been a part of my life. Then I went to Gangier and started to say, you know what? Yeah, I should. Because look at what these guys are doing and trying to do for the cannabis plant and cannabis medicine. They are taking some of, you know, the risks, some of the challenges and bringing them out in the open and saying, hey, let's talk about this. And the difference is huge. We have medical professionals saying, hey, go use cannabis, but they've never grown a plant let alone understand what mold and mildew looks like, let alone understand the difference in cultivars, the different in pheno expressions, the different those terpenes can produce from an outdoor plant to a light depth to an artificial light indoor grow. But they're the ones making these recommendations So what it really taught me was we need to work together. Instead of nurses and bud tenders working against each other, we need nurses training bud tenders. We need bud tenders sharing information with nurses that they don't know because people haven't been comfortable talking to them about their illegal grow and how, you know, what they've been doing. So it really was very helpful for me to realize instead of being reticent, I need to step up and I need to be one of the people to help bridge this gap, to break my own damn stigmas, which will help break other people's stigmas. And to kind of take that risk and come out a little bit more and say, yeah, you know, I've been an herbalist before I was a nurse. I've been growing for 25 years and, you know, helping people differently than some other people might know or accept. But now it's starting to be accepted and we need more people like me admitting it and speaking up. And really fighting the fight, which will then hopefully end some of the fight and bring some of these communities together, which can only benefit everybody from the plant to the patients, you know, to, to really the planet. So,
0: Oh, for sure. Cool. So, but uh, so GANGA, what, what exactly is that? And, and what is the certification all about? How does it help you? What, what are you learning? Uh, more details, please. That's first time yeah. hearing of it.
1: Yeah. So it's, um. there's a great online component, I'd say at least 36 hours or more. And some of the top people in, you know, top people in the field from Swami, who's been, you know, running the um, Emerald Cup for decades to Wendy, who's the Korean natural farmer, you know, at Sun Abyss to Kevin Jodry, who's genetics and Patrick King with, um you know, his soil, soil King. So some fabulous instructors, you're getting all their tidbits of information that they've learned over the years. They're sharing with you, bringing in some experts and scientists. So a lot of really great online digestible content, a lot of really exciting, interesting history from, you know, from um, Frenchie cannoli and understanding kind of the cultural and migrational path of cannabis throughout the centuries and the ages and, and how it became medicine and how it was chastised and how it came back. So You know, I honestly learned more than I thought I would because I've taken so many medical courses, but this came from a very different perspective. This really highlighted how important that relationship with the plant is. It highlights understanding cultivation and bringing it back to that level of importance. You know, of course they talk about modes of administration and how to be, you know, probably a very high level advanced bud tender is a very nice way to explain it. Or to compare it to a wine sommelier, you know, an expert in wine tasting and being able to help people pick and choose. So a gongier is the same. It's a pretty rigorous process to pass the testing. There are other nurses who have taken the training and have not passed the test. I'm the first nurse gongier to actually pass. A lot of people, you know, don't pass the first time and need to go back and study for months and months, which basically means, you know, having a lot of fun and trying a lot of really good cannabis and judging the quality, trying some maybe not great cannabis and understanding the differences. So they have a, you know, they have an in-person training where you get to try cannabis and go over the assessment protocols with some of the what they call the council, some of the expert Gangier instructors you have a written exam, and you have a live virtu- um, a live in-person exam where you're acting as the gangier in a retail setting with a more challenging customer. So some of the things might get thrown your way. So you're able also to have that professionalism and that etiquette from the retail perspective too. So a lot of fabulous, fabulous information while also helping people really bring it back to the level of respect and appreciation for California and Humble and the terroir, you know, and the differences of not just legacy, but really craft cannabis.
0: Yeah. Very cool. I mean, it's so similar to Somalier testing in so many ways. That's very, very, very cool. I'm so glad that they're doing that. Mm-hmm. And we keep evolving as a community and a culture, and all these little things help to remove the stigma, like you're talking about, but also add credibility to what it is that we're doing. And it's ah, I'm really glad to hear that. I'm really happy about that. Uh, so you've mentioned several times now that you're an herbalist, and my latest passion is cannabinoids mixed with botanicals. I think that there is so much potential there to be able to really find sweet marriages between any number of these different components and molecules in order to bring about very specific and directed healing for anything that people might need it for. Do you, have you had any kind of experimentation around that?
1: Um, you know, a little bit. I've I've been using cannabis and other herbs in combination for decades at this point, you know. So it's kind of um just the natural way to go for me and my family, I'd say personally. I haven't at the kind of commercial level really, like our CBD hemp business is pretty much just cannabinoids. You know, I, I also like to start things slow. So if I'm gonna start working with someone, I'm not gonna give them six different herbs at first. I'm probably if they're calling to work with cannabis, we're gonna work with cannabis at first, see where we go with that, and then also talk about adding adjunct herbs. Um, You know, I look at cannabis as an entry drug. I joke around, but CBD is what sometimes gets people to try chamomile. So there's a lot of people I feel like who are now open because of CBD and other, you know, reasons willing to try cannabis, which is the gateway to opening into so many other herbal medicines, whether that's fungi or whether that's, you know, simply a cup of kava tea instead of your Ambien at nighttime.
0: Oh sure, oh sure. I mean, it, it is a gateway for that. That's the good, the good door that opens through that gateway. <laughs> yeah, I because so much of what's hammered into us, is especially that this American populace, is you go to your doctor, you get a pill to mask whatever it is that you don't want to have happening to you anymore, and then you go to the CVS and, and you buy ibuprofen or whatever it is, and so it's always these chemicals, but. Most people are very reticent of even trying herbal medicine because it's um, old-fashioned or it's too hippy or woo-woo or whatever it is that it carries its own stigma as an entire genre. So, I think it's pretty cool and even I guess with the way that CBD is being administered and sold, it even makes it a little bit easier. A lot of it is in pill form or it's a tincture that doesn't quite look like a plant so you don't really get that feeling. It's. Uh, have you been able to break through some of these other stigmas just around other herbs and botanicals?
1: I think so, yeah. And one product I created actually that I love for my hemp CBD business is a little um, DIY kit. So it gives somebody the jar, the beeswax, the muslin straining little organic bag to strain it through the directions, the hemp so that they can make their own. So maybe if they're interested, instead of buying my salve, they can make their own and add whatever essential oils they want. Maybe add some lavender and rosemary from the garden. So it, in my mind, it's a way of kind of starting that, that herbalist urge, I guess. And so someone that's using CBD or hemp, like maybe they'll touch the flower. Maybe they'll make their own salve. Maybe they'll start to look at other herbs. So that's something I've always kind of been passionate about and wanted to help people is, you know, use more herbs. But what I, what the one thing I, I feel, you know, here, especially in American culture is we want that quick fix. And cannabis isn't always a quick fix. So I tell people, you know, herbal medicine takes time and patience. You know, if you're a patient, you need patience. So we need to hopefully look at cannabis and give it a couple of weeks, give it a month. Whereas, you know, the example I use is we don't have receptors for Prozac, but we definitely feel Prozac within the first couple of days, right? But sometimes that feeling isn't good and it could even be suicidal ideation. We do have receptors for cannabinoids. So our body's accepting those, but hopefully a little more gentler. So we might not feel that wham, bam approach after the first couple of days. So we want to give it a couple of weeks and be a little more patient with, you know, with cannabis and plant medicine and herbs in general.
0: Absolutely. And with uh, that being said, the endocannabinoid system, how much work have you done around the research there and and understanding the receptors? And just, I'd love to hear your experience with ECS.
1: You know, I've taken pretty much most cannabis courses. Versus out there that I can think of. So I absolutely know it. And I understand it. you know, I can reiterate it. I also try to look at this as herbal plant medicine though, in a way, take out some of the science. I, you know, and the example I give people is I would rather know that you grew it on your own and it has no mold and you're going to start with a couple drops and move your way up. Then find something on the shelf that's lab tested, but it's not tested for mold, but you know the exact amount of dosage and drops, right? That kind of removes the whole idea. We want this gentle, beautiful approach. So I always tell people, of course, it's great to understand what receptors and how it's working, but it's just as important to understand your own body and your healing and to listen to yourself I'm not the person that wants to teach every medical professional, every receptor that's out there and exactly how they work compared to, I want to meet and talk to lay people, to the patients, to the bud tenders and help them because I feel that's where we've reached the larger level of people. That's where we meet the masses there's not a lot of patients or cannabis consumers who necessarily want the in-depth information on all the receptors more than need some guidance and support to try something different and maybe document what they experimented with so they can remember next time they compare it or to understand, oh, it is as simple as following my nose, right? Or, hmm, let me just pay attention and check in with my body every day instead of saying, well, is it fully... You know, locked into this receptor as an agonist here, or, you know, and again, I know all that information and I've studied it and I, I can reiterate it all, but I try to tell people this is plant medicine. This is what our bodies were built for and to do. This is what our planet has provided for us. You know, if you want to go spiritual, this is what whatever your higher power or God has put on the planet for us to utilize. So let's bring it back to that type of medicine and bring it back to holistic health more than that, you know, that scientific regimen and i'm saying this as as a cannabis researcher too you know so
0: yeah definitely and i think that this push in the direction of trying to understand terpenes and the role that they play within the the process of healing and and intoxication or whatever it might be along with the cannabis plant i feel like it's i hope at least it's going to push us more in that direction of the plant medicines and and really understanding is like, oh, okay, terpenes aren't just something that's in cannabis. These are ubiquitous across all of the flora that exists on this planet. So we can start understanding and using these different tastes and smells that have their own specific medical properties in themselves.
1: And we're just at the tip of the iceberg. You know, we're just talking about terpenes. But within the next year, a couple of years, we're going to be talking about the esters and the phenols and the flavonoids and how beneficial they are and how they affect the flavor and aroma just as much. You know, I think we're literally just at the tip of the iceberg, which is exciting. And I've always seen both directions. You know, I see it from my herbalist side and I see it from my scientific research side. Whole plant medicine and using all that flower intact is the best and most beautiful approach, in my opinion, especially energetically. But we can't discount that seizure patient who one cultivar grown and cultivated one cycle compared to the next cycle is different enough that it doesn't work for their seizures. Mm -hmm. So I also agree with isolating cannabinoid medicine and making those absolute exact extracts at specific ratios for specific disease processes. But that specific disease processes, 90% of the time, we still want that whole plant, that energy, you know, to do more of that healing. So I really see, you know, the, this going a few different directions based on the research. And I hope we continue to use utilize both types because both i think are so beneficial in different ways
0: i couldn't agree more i'm really excited to see a more pharmaceutical approach to cannabis medicine where formulations of specific cannabinoids that we have proper research behind to make these real cannabinoid medicine drugs to target very specific conditions and i think that I hope that we get to move in that direction, too, and still have the wellness that we can use from the whole plant and, and allow this beautiful marriage of these two worlds to keep us growing and understanding more. Mm-hmm. Yeah, pretty cool. Um, so I want to dive into your past a little bit more and just understanding how you had a yoga and wellness center at some point, and you're also a doula. So mm-hmm. do, how do some of these things from your past inform what you're up to now?
1: Yeah, yeah. So you know, that's um, all the work I started before I became a nurse. I am a certified massage therapist. I do cranial sacral. All I love, love body work. I found cannabis works wonderful with body work. You know, I I finally had a client after eighteen years say, Jess, I'm now comfortable telling you that I smoke a joint every time. You know, before you give me a massage, and I was like, "That's <laughs> awesome! Thanks for sharing." You know, like, Good idea. Like, what works for you, <laughs> right? Totally. Yeah. You know, so. Over the years, it's kind of naturally combined itself. You know, as a yoga instructor, you're always looking at your breath, you know, so that's inhaling and exhaling. You're always looking at that spiritual connection. So I think, you know, some people say cannabis clouds that. I look at it as some people need cannabis to reach that. Some people don't need cannabis to reach that. And we're all just finding the right way to meditate in for ourselves. And what's right for you now might be different in 10 years. So you know, cannabis might be great for some of your spirituality, your yoga practice, things like that. It might not at a certain time in your life. Um, You know, so I really think it's all kind of worked wonderfully together. I always hoped not to be in the allopathic traditional world. I was a college professor before I had a college credit, right? You know, so I've kind of went went backwards with a lot of things, but I feel you know, having a yoga studio and all the work that I've done has very nicely transitioned to the work I'm doing now. Right now I'm working for a a doctor of osteopathy in a chronic pain clinic and doing medical massage and energy work and case management on some really chronic patients who would rather use cannabis than opioids for the most part. So it's a way of combining it all. Um, You know, I've always been a birth worker. So I've been a doula for gosh, 20 plus years, childbirth ed, always, you know, that maternal child health world, which again was kind of taboo. And I kept separate from my cannabis world, but in the last couple years, it's becoming more evident that we need more outspoken people. We need more education and um, real support in this system. So I'm now I'm the wellness director at Cannamami, which is a nonprofit, which is basically just to support families who have questions and are going through legal hassles and things like that based on cannabis use during the, you know, parenting and pregnancy. So what you would not necessarily think might come full circle and fit really wonderfully well together, it does. And, you know, I've joked around my whole life, I've never chosen necessarily what direction I head more than it's been presented to me. It's been my path. I feel like I've been of service, you know, or hope to be of service in my life. And that this is kind of the direction the world has put me, regardless how reticent I tried to be with it.
0: Yeah. It's almost as if it doesn't matter how windy of a path you go, all the little things that we collected along the way help to inform whatever it is we're up to. Just yep. make you a better nurse because of it.
1: And that's, and that's a great way to put it. And, you know, in some ways, I love being called a nurse. At the same time, I, I also want people to understand. I feel like a lot of my education and understanding from cannabis has come from being an herbalist and a cultivator, not from being a nurse. Mm-hmm. And, that, and it's important to me for people to understand that. You know, I've recently talked to a few folks about the Ganja program, and there are absolutely times I would recommend a Ganja to a patient instead of a nurse depending what they're going for. If they have cancer and they're on tamoxifen or, you know, dif- or chemo, that's a different story. Maybe we want someone who understands the medication interactions a little bit if they're consuming it orally. But if they're just smoking cannabis for symptom relief, a gangier knows, you know, strains and cultivars and terpenes and different different things than some nurses might. So again, that's why we need to work together and balance the two because there's such a ben- benefit from those different areas of expertise.
0: Yeah, I think that's great. And the organization that I work for, we are really trying to push change within the industry. And one of the things that we want to do away with entirely is the idea of a bud tender. We much prefer dispensary technician, pharmacy technician, something along those lines. And in an ideal world, they would be a gangier that you have at least one that is always on the clock if the store front is open and so they can be there to answer any tough questions that the bud tenders still have but i mean even that just remove this from alcohol it is it, alcohol is so dangerous and so harmful to the body and cannabis doesn't have any of those things going on and this, this bud tender thing i think it's got to go like let's bring more legitimacy to what we're doing and mm-hmm. yeah
1: and i think alcohol is a big part of my history and story you know i grew up um, with a lot of alcohol use in the home compared to another parent that had a lot of cannabis use in the home. And there was a big difference between who you could talk to at six, seven o'clock at night, as well as, you know, you mentioned in the beginning, I've had dozens and dozens of surgeries. That was a drunk driver who hit us as a child. Hmm. So, you know, I see the detrimental impacts of drunk driving and alcohol use within my own family. And it's the reason I'm still today having surgeries and will the rest of my life.
0: Wow. Oh my goodness. Wow. And so, have you found uh, cannabis to ease the pain post surgery? Like, is that a very acute kind of pain?
1: Oh, absolutely. I'm extremely sensitive to opioids, if not allergic to some, and, you know, avoid them like the plague. Cannabis has been my absolute number one medication for a very long time. And not just for, you know, surgery pain, I have PTSD, I have chronic migraines. Um, you know, I have a genetic disorder that affects, unfortunately, all my joints. So cannabis has been my consistent daily, you know, everyday medication. Yeah, yeah,
0: it's incredible. I've seen what it's done. My, my mother became a patient and my father, her caregiver in Ohio, right when the whole thing opened up for that. And they uh, just the change in her life has been dramatic. she's finally sleeps better. She doesn't move through the day with pain. It's really been a joy to see so it's beautiful it is it's wonderful and to have access to like really quality medicine finally to be able to go into a store use a qr code to be able to bring up a certificate of analysis so you can actually see what's going on in your medicine and just it's come so far and it's a wonderful thing to finally witness
1: and we've got so far to go so far i I feel we've learned so much but again we're just at the tip of the iceberg, which is exciting
0: Yeah, it's weird. I mean, I started in two thousand four in California in the medical cannabis industry, and now I'm like, okay, it still feels brand new. Eighteen years later, and like, okay, this is still a brand new industry. We don't know anything yet. It's kind of fun to be a part of that world.
1: Oh, it is. It is fun and nerve wracking at the same time when you're an entrepreneur trying to, you know, financially make it too. So I think it's it's quite an adrenaline rush in so many ways.
0: It is, it is hard and exciting, but I think it's all worth it. And we get to be activists too, which is pretty cool. Just inherently.
1: Absolutely. And that's another thing cannabis taught me, you know, I don't think I would be doing the lobbying and advocacy that work that I do right now, if it wasn't for cannabis, I started to really, you know, speak up and, and do some of the work specifically for cannabis, which led me to become the president of the Vermont nurses. And now at a state level, I lobby and advocate for all Vermont nurses you know, so cannabis really opened that area up for me, an uh, area I never would have purposely or thought I would find myself ending up in. Oh,
0: wow. Yeah, it's wonderful. So uh, last thing on my list, please tell me about the high tea society. Yes.
1: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, <laughs> yeah. so myself and, um, you know, a couple of my girlfriends here in Vermont have always just talked about how, you know, most and especially Vermont are very male driven, <laughs> ego driven Cannabis communities, um, so we just started laughing about like, hey, why don't we just get all these guys to give us their herb and let's judge it and talk about it, you know? So, so we just decided to start doing cannabis reviews, and the idea is, you know, every month or every couple of weeks, we will assess a different cultivar. One of the uh, women in the group is a professional photographer, so she'll take pictures of it. Me, as the gangier will go through and do the. It's called a sap, the uh, systemic assessment protocol and come up with the SAP number through GANGA. We're going to be publicizing that in some of the beer and brew magazines because some of those magazines here in Vermont are trying to get into Bud and Brew and bring out some more cannabis with it. And it's also a way we hope to kind of acknowledge some of the great cultivators here um, and help them advertise. Marketing here in Vermont has extremely strict regulations when the adult use market opens, and it's going to be challenging. So, we're hoping to kind of be an ancillary way to advertise some of these cultivators. Um, each time, we're going to have a different female join us, you know, and kind of make it fun, have it a little bit goofy, you know, but also from the educational standpoint. So, giving little tidbits as to, you know, what does a mature trichome look like as compared to a decent cure? Then, you know, talking about what different terpenes expressions we might find, how we might use them medicinally all the way to, you know, we've talked about how the trim job looks like a Brazilian bikini wax versus this. So, you know, kind of taking the silly female, but also the educational approach and seeing where we roll with it.
0: I love it. That was great. Yeah. I came across the Brazilian on the, I guess I was like, this is funny. We got to talk about this.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And we will, we will be coming out soon with little video excerpts of it, you know, 10 to 15 minutes of each time we do our sesh, you know, some of the bloopers and highlights from the educational pieces to the goofy pieces. So we're just working with a video editor to get that cleaned up now. And again, hope to just use it to really exemplify some of the Vermont market and some of our, you know, awesome cultivators here
0: yeah and it's specifically for women, or do you invite other folks too that just anyone who's not a man basically
1: well, anyone that I shouldn't say woman, anyone that is female identifying you know or is comfortable with that um you know, and we we really just wanted it to be something that I hate to say, and I don't mean to be biased or judgmental, but really is dif- is for more for women in weed, you know, and by that we you know we mean women, female identifying folks that, um, you know, want to really express it differently. And I hope to not only leave some of that ego aside, but highlight some more female identifying folks in the cannabis world. We don't have enough. We're losing them. You know, we're losing them. Our numbers are going down. So we need to do anything we can to boost that back up.
0: Yes, absolutely. More entrepreneurs, more medical practitioners more everybody more just consumers that are willing to come forward and say hey this is who i am this is what i do i mean yeah more women involved in it just in general would be great okay so i have one question that i like to ask everybody
1: Mm
0: -hmm. if there is one specific change that you would like to see enacted immediately within the medical cannabis industry what would that change be
1: Ooh, that's such a, oh, wow. I have like seven pop in my brain I know, at right? first. <laughs> oh, I guess I'd have to say consumer safety. So probably, you know, protocols around full panel lab testing for contaminants to ensure consumer safety. You know, then I want to run to that social equity side because my partner is a felon of, well, we need, you know, descheduling and decriminalization. But um, so there's a lot that comes to mind. That is a good question.
0: Uh, well, yeah. I'm always curious to hear what people think because I get to talk to people from all of the different corners of this industry. And so everyone has a little bit of a different answer. So thank you for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Making sure that we have quality products for the people seems, really? seems like a baseline necessity. But,
1: yeah. yeah. My next is, oh, my go-to would always be education and um, that's something newer, and I don't even think I put it out there, so you probably haven't read it yet, but with Clean Green Certification, we're going to start Clean Green Bud Tender training. So it's going to be one full day just here in Vermont, in person, trying to train as many cannabis professionals here, you know, from my nurse perspective and ganja perspective to really encourage that consumer safety education and quality craft cannabis piece. So we're going to start really trying to push that education piece forward here in Vermont.
0: Awesome. So great. There, there's so many amazing little things that you've got your fingers in. It's just been a really, really eye-opening and interesting conversation. And I really appreciate your time, Jesse Lynn.
1: Absolutely. Thanks so much. I appreciate it.
0: For sure. Is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners before we part?
1: Just get your hands on the plant. Go create a relationship. Absolutely.
0: Perfect. And we'll leave it with that. Thank you so much for your time today. Thank you. Thank you so much for staying with us to the end of this show. I know just how precious time is, and I do not take for granted the time that you have spent with us here today. Thank you for spending your time with me and listening to Jessie Lynn. I hope that you learned as much from her as I did while being able to speak with her please do your best to go and check out the links in the podcast notes. You'll find everything you want to know about all the different projects that Jesse is working on her CBD line. I'll link to the Don G.A. certification as well. Take a peek and please go over and leave a rating wherever you're listening to this. It really helps to get more ears onto this show. And you know what that means. The more people listening, more quality information is getting out to the public and the better educated the public can be about medical cannabis the better all of us are that are involved with this industry it's only going to be able to push it further so thank you again and until next time my friends please stay healthy and enjoy yourselves